Hello, welcome to The Briefing. It is Tuesday the 8th of December. I'm Tom Tilley and today we're going to brief you on an Aussie father's fight to get justice for the murder of his daughter in Mozambique. I want him to be locked up in a Mozambique jail and rot because you know what over there? They don't have the money to feed the prisoners because he's out there enjoying himself and Ellie's gone. Yeah, you're going to find out how far Paul Warren has gone to try and catch the killer. He's travelled to Africa. He's even hired a sex worker to infiltrate a crime gang. Uh, Annika will join me as we bring you that story in a moment. First, I'll take you through the big news of the day. The German mother and son who bypassed hotel quarantine in Sydney and took a domestic flight to Melbourne have tested negative for COVID-19 for a second time. So that means the 170 travellers who are on the same flight down to Melbourne can now leave isolation. And as we told you yesterday, the mistake happened when a New South Wales police officer doing his second shift at the airport wrongly let them tank the flight because he thought they were exempt from international quarantine. The German pair are now doing quarantine in Melbourne, and they're actually the first people to do so in Victoria for five months as the state finally restarted their hotel quarantine after the bungle set off the state's second wave. Yesterday, 250 more overseas passengers uh, went into hotel quarantine in Melbourne as well. So it's now completely back underway, and they'll take an average of 160 overseas arrivals a week. And after eight months, residents from New South Wales and Victoria can re-enter Western Australia. There were fears that the Sydney hotel quarantine workers' positive case last week could have thrown a spanner in the works, but Mark McGowan, the state's premier in WA, says he's confident, although he can put the wall back up if he has to. If we have any concerns with future outbreaks in the east, then subject to health advice, we can put the hard border back up immediately and we won't hesitate to do so. Yep, strong words there from Mark McGowan. WA will also open to South Australia from Thursday, but South Australians will have to quarantine for two weeks. Uh, In Queensland, uh, they'll be letting in travellers from Adelaide from Saturday. The state's chief health officer, Dr Jeanette Young, says she's heartened by the response to the Parafield outbreak in Adelaide. There haven't been any cases in the last seven days, and I'm very confident about the large amount of testing they've done and the large numbers of people they've placed into quarantine. So they've had up to 5,000 people that they placed into quarantine related to that cluster. So there you go. Fingers crossed that everyone will still be able to get together for Christmas this year. Yeah, maybe not in California, sadly. They've entered a hard lockdown uh, where most of its 40 million residents are under a strict stay-at-home order for Christmas. It's for regions where intensive care units are at least 85% capacity, and that's most of them. For at least the next three weeks, uh, non-essential businesses in California have been shuttered, while residents can only go outside for shopping, medical appointments, or exercise. The bottom line is if we don't act now, our hospital system will be overwhelmed. If we don't act now, we'll continue to see a death rate climb. That's the Californian governor, Gavin Newsom. Uh, Some police officers are refusing to enforce the rules, though, including Orange County Sheriff Don Barnes. He told Fox News it's unconstitutional. I just don't think that it's something that falls in line with a law enforcement priority. We have many other responsibilities that we're dealing with overall. I don't think it stands uh, the constitutional test. And Donald Trump's lawyer and former New York mayor, Rudy Giuliani, has got COVID. Uh, He's been crisscrossing the country, often not wearing a mask. Uh, He's been trying but failing to prove election fraud. Uh, He's 76 years old, so that is a bit concerning. 
And if you're part-time or casual, uh, there's some changes coming for you in new workplace laws. Part-time workers in retail and hospitality will lose their overtime payments when they take on extra hours as part of a major shake-up. The federal government's making the changes to stop businesses giving the extra hours to casuals at a cheaper rate. It will also announce plans to criminalise wage theft with four-year jail terms or $5.5 million fines in the most serious cases. And maybe it's as wild as the 5G corona conspiracy. You can be the judge. A state-run Chinese newspaper has accused the Western world of sending COVID-19 to Wuhan. The Global Times newspaper has published an article suggesting that imported frozen food like Australian steak, Chilean cherries and Ecuadorian seafood may be behind the pandemic. Uh, It didn't include any evidence. And overnight, China has suspended Aussie beef supplier Merimus, which is the sixth supplier to be hit with a ban. Uh, It's yet to give a reason. All right, in a moment, Annika Smethurst will join us as we look at an Aussie father's fight for justice. Now to the heartbreaking and frustrating investigation into the murder of a 20-year-old Australian woman in Mozambique. Back in 2016, Ali Warren was killed on a night out with friends at a tourist resort and her father Paul is still fighting for justice. In fact, he travelled to Africa and funded his own investigation. Yeah, you have to wonder, Annika, what would you do if you were in this situation and a family member was, was killed overseas? How far would you go to try and get justice? Yeah, I've been to some far-flung places and I, I don't know what my parents would have done if this had have been me. Paul seems to be doing everything he can, though. He's even gone as far as hiring a local woman to act as a sex worker and gather evidence on the man they believe is responsible. Here's Paul. We had one girl which was uh, we thought was going to do the job for us and she went in there and got a couple of really good concrete recordings about and his gang, the way they operate. And to be honest with you, he's, he's red hot. He's, uh, yeah, she got worried about her life, so she had to clear out. So that's Paul Warren. And in this episode of The Briefing, we're going to speak to Paul and go in depth so you can find out why he's had to take this investigation into his own hands and why he's frustrated at the Australian police as well as the Mozambican authorities. Now, Tom, Mozambique is a long way from Australia. In fact, not many people go there. You've been there, though. Can you tell us a little bit what it's like? Yeah, I've actually been to this exact community, um, Tufo, where Ellie Warren went missing. I was there um, many years earlier in 2004. I was travelling through Africa with my brother And it's a small, beautiful beach community about 500 k's up the coast from the capital of Mozambique, Maputo. And it's a beautiful fishing village, but also a backpacker mecca with uh, a couple of big beach bars where where backpackers really let their hair down and, and let loose. And like a lot of communities like that, they're often beautiful because there's so many backpackers, they do attract criminals as well. And you can sense that just outside the sort of the fun and the celebration of this backpacker scene can be a darker side. Well, let's hear from Paul, that's Ali's dad, and hear the explanation of how Ali ended up there in this small coastal village of Tufo. Ali loved Africa. She'd been there to Kenya with her mother. She loved marine biology and she loved studying um, all about the ocean and the fish and sharks and everything. She went to South Africa and, and did a stint over there with the scientists in South Africa 
for the sharks. And then she worked very hard. She had three jobs in between to try and save money. She could hardly wait to go back there. She was so dedicated to her values about the ocean and and she uh, she loved it. And there was no way that I was going to stop it from going. Ali was a very strong-minded person, strong-willed, and she knew what she wanted and she was going to do it. And uh, so I don't have any regret not trying to stop her because I knew that I couldn't. Simple as that. So let's find out more about how the story unfolded from there. At first, the response from the local authorities in relation to her death was very confusing. Uh, the first police report said it was a drug-related death, but then a toxicology report later found there were no trace of drugs in her system. So in 2018, Paul went over there to get to the bottom of it. Paul, what was it like going there? Were, were the locals helpful? The first trip they were, yeah, yeah. They were all concerned. They all wanted to know. But you see, the, the AFP told me that the Mozambique police are investigating. But when I got over there, I soon realised that they were uh, misleading Ali's family because everybody I spoke to thought it was an accident. And that's the way they portrayed it over there. So I, I soon showed them the photo and they soon realised, oh, this isn't an accident. This is something's Fouls play, this is definitely something's happened here, you know. But my second trip, they weren't as forthcoming. Paul, why do you think the police covered it up? What's in it for them? Oh, it's a tourist industry. Money over there is so important to them and they don't want to lose that. If a girl dies of an accident, it's hardly headline news, but if a girl dies of murder in Tufa, it's all around the world, isn't it? And this is what's so important that I have to get this concrete evidence to be able to convict the person that murdered my daughter. And there's no question that Ellie was murdered and there's no question that they covered it up right from day one. So that's why Paul had to travel there for himself. And when he did that in 2018, he found evidence, including a photo of his daughter lying on the ground. He also offered a reward for anyone that came forward with information. And that's how he got a tip off from a South African woman, which led him to a crime gang. And to get info on that gang, a local investigator recruited a local woman to pretend to be a sex worker and speak to the gang members. And that's how Paul believes he now has a suspect worth pursuing, a man called Tony. Paul, now that you have a suspect, where to from here? Is anything happening with that information? Well, you see, the AFP know that I've got the facts on them. So they haven't contacted me at all. I don't know what's going to happen with this. The Prime Minister needs to stand up here and see what's been going on with Ali's case. We need to have an inquiry about Ali's investigation, not just an inquest, but an inquiry. See, an inquest doesn't put blame to anybody or to investigate how things have gone through, but an inquiry actually goes through how everybody handled the investigation, the AFP, DFAT, government, the whole lot. We need to get support for families that this happens to them. And it, with the way society is today, it's going to happen to other Australian families. You don't, As I said, you don't wish it upon them. But, you know, if I don't want another family to be in the same no, position as me. Of course. Is it about getting the perpetrator locked up? Is that ultimately what you're trying to achieve here? Well, look... For him, him to die, it's too good, right? He's gone. That's it. I want him to be locked up in a Mozambique jail and rot because you know what over there? They don't have the money to feed the prisoners. The family has to turn up to feed them and it's a terrible environment. 
And that's what I want him to do for the rest of his life because he's out there enjoying himself and Ellie's gone. Yeah. And that that's so irritating for me to know that. It's terrible. So that was Paul Warren, Ellie's dad. And you can hear how frustrated he is with both the local police, Annika, and the AFP here in Australia. Yeah, but what exactly can the Australian government even do and the AFP when an Australian goes missing or dies in suspicious circumstances like Ali has? Is there actually anything they can do to help solve these cases? Yeah, well, let's find out more about what they can or should be doing. We're joined by former top homicide detective Charlie Bessina. Charlie has been assisting Paul Warren um, with this investigation. Charlie, what stands out to you about this case? Oh, the fact that uh, Paul was getting very little assistance um, and, they were, and he was very frustrated in relation to getting any advancement in the investigation over at uh, Tofu. What's the AFP supposed to do in this situation? Paul's obviously pretty angry at them. He's accusing them of not doing their job. Is that the case? Do they have the power to go in there and do something about it or are they, as as you sort of intimated, uh, at the behest of the local authorities? Look, anything overseas where an Australian citizen um, is involved, you know, you look at the guitar situation and things like that, you've got to be invited in. Whilst you can uh, remonstrate your dislike and uh, criticise uh, other countries and governments, you certainly need their, um, their uh, permission to come into their country and assist. So, I think in this instance, the AFP aren't pushing it hard enough in relation to, you know, one of their citizens being murdered uh, and really pushing the envelope. And Charlie, if this case was in Australia, just having a look at it from your perspective, what would have been done differently? Would have we found a suspect earlier? What what did they miss? Well, what they missed from the very outset that the body was interfered with given the, the photographs that were taken and, and from witnesses what they were seeing. So the, the, the clearly the, the body's been moved. The crime scene has not been processed uh, appropriately. There's exhibits gone missing. The clothes have gone missing, especially the top that's been ripped. Uh, there's no DNA evidence and what other evidence there is. You know, the first autopsy over there is certainly indicated murder where there was uh, other indications that oh, it was just a uh, overdose or it was uh, drunkenness. Well, it's all, it's all fabricated stuff. So it would have been done a lot better in relation to the interview of witnesses, the collection of a forensic evidence to certainly support the fact that it's been murdered. And really the litmus test here is this that I take to a lot of people. If this was your daughter, what standard would you want? And that would be back to any persons in the in the political arena, you would expect everything to be done. And not enough is being done by this government to get answers for the murder of an Australian citizen in a foreign country. So what do you make of the evidence Paul's investigation has uncovered? You know, he, he believes there's a, a prime suspect and he's hoping that the DNA evidence from her shirt could be linked to that suspect. Is that possible? What can be done with this evidence that, that he believes he's uncovered? Well, the whole, the whole situation is we've got to find the shirt in the first place. Um, the clothes have gone missing. There's evidence uh, to suggest, reading a, uh, a recent report that's just been translated for Paul, that um, she was wearing a skirt. Well, where's the skirt? Uh, going back, re-interviewing these witnesses, we haven't seen any statements from the witnesses that actually were living with Ellie. Now, it's not up to a deceased family or relatives to do that investigation. This government owe it to citizens of this country to do their best and push the envelope with a foreign country and get answers that uh, that Paul and all of us deserve. So, Charlie, it sounds like the locals 
don't have much interest in digging up this investigation because they don't want more bad stories and, and that might damage the tourism industry there. So what Very chance much. is there of this murder being solved and Paul getting justice? Do you, do you really think he'll get there? Look, currently probably not uh, unless the, the federal police sort of change their attitude and get and say, okay, we're, we're going to keep pushing the envelope federally because without that, Paul is going to take this to his grave and the rest of the um, Ellie's family. And unfortunately, that should not be the case. You know, you've got to be able to sit there and say, I've done everything possible, humanly possible, through the, through the proper political means to do that. And uh, look, as it stands, I don't think he's going to get justice. That was Charlie Bazina, a former homicide detective who's been helping Paul Warren manage this investigation. And Paul has also asked the Victorian coroner to investigate his daughter's death. And that decision is still pending. And we asked the Australian Federal Police for a comment. Uh, We basically put Paul's allegations to them so they could respond. And they said because of that coroner's decision, um, and there's a directions hearing on December 17, uh, that it's not appropriate for the Australian Federal Police to comment at this time. We also asked DFAT, uh, the Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade, for a response. They said they weren't able to meet our deadline. Tomorrow in the briefing, uh, we'll retell the story of the White Island volcano tragedy. 22 people died. It was one year ago. Um, we're going to find out who's been held responsible. A Podcast One production.